Hi everyone, I'm Lottie Bowser and you're listening to Lemonade, the podcast that amplifies extraordinary stories of adversity, courage and resilience so that you too can be reminded of your power. Every fortnight, a guest reveals the defining moments that have shaped their lives and the insights and tools they have learned that have helped them to thrive in the wake of their challenges. Season one is packed with incredible people, from activists to comedians, athletes and authors. Don't forget to hit the follow button to be the first to know about every new episode and leave us a review if you like what you hear. Georgie, lovely. Welcome to the Lemonade podcast. And thank you so much for talking to me today. Oh, I am so happy to be here on this amazing podcast with the best name ever. And um, I'm just so excited to be part of your journey. And thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I'm glad that you like the name. I think you can probably guess what it is that I'm referring to. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, it's amazing to watch you make lemonade. And I know you've been through so much, but you've helped so many people along the way. And, you know, I've been watching you over the last couple of years and I'm just so happy that you're happy, even though I know you don't have perfect days every day. But um, I think what you've done is so inspiring and I'm just so proud to be your friend. Oh, thank you so much. My God, (laughs) that made me well up. Likewise, lovely. You have the most incredible story to share, which I'm really excited to get into with you today. It's one of the reasons why I'm excited to talk to you. And also just because I get to hear your beautiful Irish lilt for an hour, which I just love. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. And uh, it's nice. I I was over in London yesterday, actually, and somebody else said it to me about my accent. I was like, oh, my God. You know, when we get outside of our four walls, we feel appreciated. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you greatly. And again, thank you so much for taking the time. I feel like when we go through things as as monumental and as difficult as, as what you went through in 2017, and I'm sure for years after, for that matter, life is split into two parts. There's like a, a distinct before and after, right? And Before we get into your after, I wondered, Georgie, if we could backpedal a little bit and if you could share with us what your before looked like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think we all have a kind of before and after, don't we? Even if it isn't this huge thing, a huge earthquake in in the middle of your life, I think we can all remember being a kind of certain version of ourselves before we maybe realize something. So I was living in Dublin in Ireland. I worked in radio. I studied journalism in college and I worked in a radio station and I was so in love with my job and everyone I worked with. And I gave every part of myself to it all day, every day for years and years. And you know, one year in the newsroom turned into 12. And I kind of couldn't believe that life was passing me by so quickly. But I really felt like I only had one goal, one outcome. It had to be that way or else I had nothing. So I really wanted my career in radio to work. And I was doing really well in my job, but I suppose I wasn't climbing the career ladder as fast as I wanted to. 
But I got married to my husband, Jamie. We got pregnant and I had my daughter, Pia, in 2017 in February. And I reluctantly went on maternity leave, I suppose, because I kind of was afraid that I get left behind. And although I was so excited to become a mum, I suppose I didn't really feel ready, you know. Um, But I was obsessed with my little girl, like more love than I'd ever felt in my life. And I was so excited to just hang out with her for a couple of months. So I did that and it was incredible. But seven months later, a week before I was due to go back to work, I found a lump in my breast and I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I was only 32. I just had my first baby. It was such a shock. I found the lump by accident in the middle of the night. And I just felt like my life was over um, and I couldn't believe that it had happened to me. Mm. What was going through your mind in, in those moments of, of discovering the lump in your breast and then subsequently being diagnosed? I think it was the next day you went to the doctors, right? Yeah, that's really interesting that you say that because I was diagnosed within five days, which is this freak thing because I know that people have to wait weeks and weeks. But I went to the GP the next day. She told me I could be waiting five weeks for an appointment and I just couldn't wait five more minutes, let alone five weeks. So I rang around all the hospitals. I got an appointment the next day and then I begged them to hurry up my results because I said, I'm so anxious. I've just had a baby. I'm not going to survive the wait. Like I just can't, I couldn't bear to even be awake or in my own body during those days. So they did everything they could and they sped up everything. And I was diagnosed with breast cancer within five days. So that in itself was just such a shock, you know. And things must have drastically changed, you know, you're, you're a new mum, you're 32, you're really just getting started. You have this incredible career that you're planning on going back to within a week. And suddenly the next year, you went through what sounds like very rigorous, grueling treatment. Yeah. So I, yeah, I had two surgeries. I had a round of IVF um, and then five months of chemotherapy and four weeks of radiotherapy. The thing was, is that my cancer was removed before my treatment. So I really felt like I had such a lifeline there and I didn't have to go to bed every night wondering, you know, where the cells multiplying. I, I just caught it so early. Now it was still stage two cancer because of the size of the tumor. But because I went to the doctor the next day, because I acted so quickly and because I was so blessed to have stumbled across this lump in my body, I had preventative chemotherapy. So when I was going into chemotherapy, I knew my cancer had been removed. So, you know, I was just in a different position to other people like you well know, Lottie, who are on the journey And it's so scary and it's such an individual journey for every single patient. But I guess like I I did feel like, of course, I had days when I thought I was going to die and that it was going to come back and it could kill me. But I 
always came back to what I knew to be true, which was my cancer was removed and I had to just keep faith that it would stay that way. Mm. Early detection or the point at which the cancer is detected really is, you know, for many people, a life or death matter. And so for you to have taken action so soon after discovering that lump, that could have made all the, it um, probably did make all the difference, right? Yeah. And you hear of people who, you know, they find a lump and then they're convincing themselves that, oh, this can't be anything. And then they ignore it. They don't want to upset their family. They don't want to, you know, Christmas could be around the corner and they have plans and like, that's all really normal reactions to have. But I guess like my husband is like hyper aware of his health and he was like, we have to go to the GP like tomorrow morning. Um, And thankfully, because of him, I did go. But I, I think I was so freaked out that I would have went anyway. But it is an important message to get out that like, go as soon as you can, address it, face it, like look it in the eye because early detection can save your life. Mm, Absolutely. It's just one of those things that, you know, at 32, you never think it's going to happen to you until it does. Yeah. Lottie, like, I think you might have said this on my podcast that like you have this kind of idea of your life mapped out and you don't know exactly how it's going to go, but you know what you want and you feel like it's going in that way. And then this thing happens and it completely changes everything you thought about life. And like, it was, it was like that. And I definitely felt at times like, why me? Like there's you always hear of these things happening to people, but you never actually think it's going to happen to you ever. Not at all. It feels like an abstract concept, you know, or I I think for me, it was, it was largely denial. It's just not something you really want to think about when you're 30. You hope at least you've got a couple more decades before you are confronted by that. Oh, absolutely. And like, I always think about this, like imagine if you could go and sit on the bed with yourself. So, you know, those like days when you're in the like depths of it and you just felt like you couldn't face the world. Like what conversation would you go back and have with yourself now? Like I'm five years cancer free. If I could go back and just hold my own hand in those horrible rock bottom moments, like what would I say? And I think it would be like trust your journey, trust the process, because that's really all you can do. But I'd be interested to hear, Lottie, like, what would you say to yourself? Because I feel like what you went through was just a million times worse. Well, I would probably say something similar to what I heard you say. I was uh, having a, a scroll through your feed the other day, and you'd just finished up your chemotherapy treatment. And it was a message to others facing treatment. And it was that if I can do it, then you can do it. You had days where you felt like you couldn't go on anymore, where you said to your husband, I can't do this. I can't do this. And you did. 
you did, you fucking did it. I mean, you weren't given much of a choice, but, you know, despite being brought to your knees and feeling as though you couldn't go on, there was, there was something deep inside of you moving through you that kept you moving forwards. And so I think what I would say is that you can do difficult things. You can. Mm. The strength of the human spirit, I think, is, is boundless. Oh, absolutely. And these rock bottom moments, like they happen to us all. And I really thought that my life was over, you know, and I, I would say to Jamie, I'll never laugh the same way again. Like this is going to take so much from me, my sense of humor, like my innocence and my joy. But it ended up giving me more, you know, and I think in my recovery, I was like, I just want to begin again. I want to find out what I'm made of. I want to lead with joy. I want to challenge myself and see what I'm made of because I've proved myself wrong over the last year, time and time again. So what more do I have to give? And I really connected with that in my recovery. And I tried to put my best foot forward every single day. And I don't know about you, Lottie, but like, I felt like I could communicate with people differently. I feel like before so many conversations I had were surface level. And then as soon as this thing happened to me, I was able to connect with people like never before. It's really interesting you you say this because I've been thinking lately about this dichotomy between, between joy and suffering. And I feel like when you are taken to the darkest place imaginable, when you are at your version of rock bottom, it's almost as if the, the other end of the spectrum becomes so much more heightened I don't quite know how to articulate it, but it's, it's like this contrast between agony and ecstasy, right? Like pain and bliss. Mm. It just gives you this like unprecedented appreciation for, for life, for being alive. You, you were confronted by mortality at such a young age. And I think that uh, galvanizes you to really appreciate everything. Every moment. There's this, um, a friend of mine called Sheila Shoga, who was also diagnosed with cancer. And she said in her recovery, it was like somebody put a different lens on her life and she could see everything differently. And I suppose in my recovery, I wanted to try and Get that message out there that you can truly live your life and find out what you're made of without a diagnosis or without something going terribly wrong. So a really interesting part of my job is to go into corporates or speak to people who may not be connected with me or my podcast. And I love that because it's an opportunity to plant a seed with someone who may be living this really busy, hectic life, who never listens to themselves or connects with themselves. And time is just passing by. And they have, you know, maybe abandoned 
their own hopes or dreams or what really makes them happy because they're so busy doing. So in my recovery, I was like, how can I reach people? How can I spread this message that we get one chance, one life and time is just passing by? So it's funny because I used to wake up on a Monday morning in before I got cancer and go to work and feel well and everything would be fine in my life. And yes, I would still think Mondays were a pain in the ass. And then when I got sick, my chemotherapy day was Mondays. And I think, oh my God, all of those Mondays that I wasted just giving out about nothing, what I would do to have one of those Mondays back. So in my, you know, journey now, I just try to speak to people just to like, and not to be preachy or annoying to people or ramming things down their throat, but just to simply plant a seed to say, maybe step outside of yourself and look at your life from the outside in and see your healthy kids or your healthy partner, your healthy friends, your healthy parents, and just be so grateful because your five-star moments are all around you. And often they're the things that in life are free. They're not your job. They're not your car. They're not your stuff. They're the moments and they're the people. And just lean into that and, and sit in it and love it and experience it. So that's really why I do what I do now. In other words, don't wait for something as horrific as a a cancer diagnosis, as a death, to make changes, to be grateful. Yeah. It's like that quote, I don't know who said it, but it's like, why do we have to be told we are dying to start living? And I love that quote. So in my recovery, I used to like sit around in my garden, like, you know, the days were long. I was in chemotherapy. I couldn't do much. I was like, if I recover from this, if I survive this, I'm actually going to find out who I am because I made my my mind up about who I was in my 20s. And I told myself that I didn't like to exercise, that, you know, I wasn't the type of person that likes the outdoors. I didn't really like adventure. I was I told myself I was a home bird, that I liked my comfort zone, that I liked reality TV and curling up on the couch and duvet days. But then when I was told that I had cancer, I was like, I just wanted to live and I wanted to see what I could do. So I took down this box that I'd put myself into and I opened up that box and I realized I read Oprah's book, What I Know For Sure. And in it, she says, you have a right to change your mind about who you are. And I could finally see for the first time that I could change, that I did have a right to change my mind about who I was. So I decided to write a new story for myself because I didn't want to be defined by who I was yesterday anymore. I wanted to step into a new world. So for anybody listening, you don't have to keep replaying the same stories over and over again. You can ask yourself, what stories are keeping me stuck? And then ask yourself, is it time to rewrite my story. Gosh, that's so powerful. And I I feel as though you've been a shining example of that in the way that you have 
taken this situation and transmuted it to do so much good. You've had such a huge impact on, on so many people. Post-traumatic growth is, is a thing. You are proof that we can thrive in, in the face of our adversity, that we can learn and we can grow, that, you know, there are, and I swear I would have, I would have punched someone who said this to me at the start, but, you know, there are, there are gifts, there are learnings, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you're so right about saying, if somebody says that to me when I'm in the depths of things, <laughs> like, it's easy for me to say that now, five years on. And I always said that I'd never forget the pain. I'd never forget the suffering because I, in a, a weird way, I wanted to stay connected with that because I didn't want to ever brush over it. I always said, I'll never forget what it was like not to have any hair during chemotherapy. But as time goes on, you know, I think it's in us to survive and rebuild and there's this underlying thing within us that we do find a way to move on. But that's not to say when you're in the depths of it that you can't just really sit in it and feel it because you have to in order to get to the other side. You have to acknowledge, you have to find a way to accept before you can get to the healing, before you can get to the growth. But I suppose in those deepest, darkest moments, it's to never give up that the healing is coming, that the light is there, that it will shine again. But, you know, I think with counselling and therapy, you find a way to, to find forward. I wanted to ask you, actually, what were some of the tools that helped you to recover from the trauma. But if we were to just rewind a little bit, there's so much about the physical recovery from, from cancer. Obviously, you know, at a time where your survival is of paramount importance, that's what, you know, took front and center, but it would have undoubtedly had a huge impact on your mental, emotional well-being too. It's a massive trauma to go through. And I wondered if you could speak a little bit about that before we get into what helped you to overcome it. Yeah. I I felt like when I was in the treatment, I just couldn't think clearly. I couldn't really feel things. I was just trying to survive each and every day. And then about a year later, when the chemotherapy was over, the radiotherapy was over, my hair had started to come back. I was, um, my doctors told me, you know, I could go back to work and things. Um, Jamie said to me one night, now my oncologist had been saying this to me for a while, but she kept saying, it's time, it's time to speak to someone. It's time, you know, because I think Jamie carried a lot of my pain and my anger and my frustration and my heartbreak. And I just don't know if he could do it anymore. And he said to me one night, he's like, please, please just go to therapy. So I did. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done to like pick up the phone 
um, the Mel Robbins rule of her five second rule is really handy if you keep putting something off that she says, if you just count down from five and then do it without thinking. So five, four, three, two, one, pick up the phone, make the appointment. Um, because I think once you make the appointment, you'll keep it. So I went in then to almost a year of weekly therapy, um, bringing up like so much more than the cancer that I didn't realize I had buried deep within. And she really helped me like set myself free. Mm, That's beautiful. You went in for one reason, but actually unearthed a whole load of other things that you know, you needed to to process and to integrate. Therapy is fucking amazing. Like I feel even if you don't think that you need it, you will benefit from it. I can't advocate for it enough. It's the best. And you go in and you feel like, oh God, if the way to the weight of the world on my shoulders and you come out skipping out the door. <laughs> I used to cry on the way home from therapy. And I don't know if it was like relief. I think it might have been. I just relief. Yeah, I read that um, emotions are energy in motion. It's part of the processing, isn't it? To to release, to shed tears. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I do think I haven't read this book, but you know the book, "The Body Keeps the Score." I've read quotes from it and little extracts, but I haven't read it in full. But you know, the body keeps the score and like, you know, if you just spend years pushing things down and these emotions have nowhere to go. I remember saying to my therapist, she was like, what do you do when you feel like angry or you think about the cancer? I was like, well, so like, just say I'm running on the treadmill, right? And I think about cancer, like I imagine like I just punch it and then it like flies away. And she was like, oh, oh, um, well, I might just give you another way. And she was like, well, instead of doing that, if you let, if you acknowledge it and let the feeling pass through you, then it will come out the other side. And I was like, oh, and like just that simple little trick of acknowledging how you feel, accepting how you feel, knowing that, you know, you may not stay like that forever. You won't feel like that forever, but not being so, I suppose, angry with the feelings. And that was a real aha moment for me. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I am I have definitely had a bit of a love-hate relationship with anger. It's one of those emotions that I feel there's a lot of like shame around, you know. It's not really a sort of palatable thing to just unleash and let rip and and allow it to fully express itself, but it's healthy. Like it's important to to acknowledge and normalize the full spectrum of, of our human experience. And as you said, like not push stuff down. Yeah. I, I remember like I was feeling really frustrated one day and, and this was like last year. So this wasn't even in my, you know, immediate recovery, but I remember I was walking in the forest with Jamie and I was so frustrated that all of a sudden, like I just put my head in my hands and screamed at the top of my voice. And Jamie was like looking at me like I was losing my mind. But in that moment, like that needed to get out of me. And 
uh, like a good scream, even if you're screaming into a pillow or scream if you're in the sea or like let it out. I think as women, we're always told to be like so composed and have our shit together and be the perfect person. And I think sometimes just screaming can set you free. <laughs> totally. And if you do it underwater, no one's going to hear you. Yeah. So that, that's a safe space or like into a pillow or something. Yeah. And I think it's so amazing that you're talking about that on your podcast because people don't, people don't talk about that stuff very often, you know? Oh my God, it's so important. And I, like, for, for me, my experience of anger in the wake of my late partner, Ben's death, it was almost as if it was coming from someplace outside of myself. I, I almost like personified it as this wild, unbridled beast that would just take hold of me. And I would honestly like shred at the bottom sheet of my mattress and like claw at my pillows and punch mm. and howl. And it was so cathartic. It, it needed to go somewhere, you know? So yeah, basically to anyone listening, go and smash some shit up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for it. I think it's really healthy. Yeah, I love that so Inanimate much. objects, not other humans, of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so you went to therapy and that was really helpful. I'm wondering what else was supportive to your recovery, Georgie. I, I heard you talk a bit about getting into fitness and becoming a runner, having never really ran before prior to the diagnosis. And then you went on to run mountains. Yeah. So I used to worry that I was like running away from something. So my oncologist said, you know, Georgie, women who exercise in their recovery from breast cancer do better. And in that moment, I was like, oh God, I have to find a way to enjoy some sort of exercise. So I went to the gym. I tried out a few classes. One day I got up on a treadmill to see if I could walk for five kilometers, but I ran for one of them. I couldn't believe it. So I started to really feel like, whoa, I want to be outside and I want to run. And I I started running and then I was like, oh God, am I running away from my life? <laughs> Why am I doing this? But then I started to see that running made me, it just helped me think. So I'd come home and I'd feel better and I wouldn't feel afraid of my body and I could be with myself in a really positive way. So yeah, the running just really helped me. Now, I will say that in all my five years of running, I've never improved my score. I've never run faster than I did on that first day. I'm not a natural athlete, but I focus on the feeling that I'm going to have at the end of the run. I'm going to feel better. Okay. That gets, that's enough. Five, four, three, two, one out the door. That gets me out the door. But I started to do the park run and I know they've got park runs all over the world. I wonder if they have them in Portugal. Have you heard of them over there? Possibly. Yeah, I know there are a few run clubs. Yeah. So every Saturday morning, um, I know they're in the UK and Ireland. There's some in Australia as well. So in your local park at half nine, there's this thing called the park run and everyone from the local community goes down and you just go on this big giant run together, like hundreds of people. 
So Jamie said in my recovery, he was like, let's start doing the park run together. We'll put Pia in the buggy. I'll push her and you just run beside the buggy. So I was like, okay. Now I was a bit embarrassed because I was wondering, you know, oh God, I'm not really that much of a good runner. But I went down to the park and I thought I was going there to exercise, but I got so much more. I got human connection, support, community, all of these things like the high fives, the smiles, the starting the day outdoors. I was like, oh my God, this is not only helping me exercise, this is helping me heal. This is making me see good in the world, in people. So that little hit of human connection and community then started to make me feel happier and it elevated the exercise. So I tried to combine running outside in nature with people around and I loved that. Absolutely loved it. But then I started to really tap into joy and and things like that. I always believe that you can only kind of work on one healthy habit at a time. So last year I tore my MCL scheme. So exercise went on the back foot and I discovered like cold water swimming and things like that and got to know myself a little bit more that I wasn't so afraid of the cold, that I could do hard things. So it's definitely a balance. I don't run as much as I would love to anymore. I'm trying to get back into it, but I have been focusing on the swimming recently. I think acknowledging that, you know, you aren't a natural athlete. I think that's, that's a really positive message in that what we firstly, we all have to start somewhere, right? We can't ever be great at something unless we start. And secondly, what matters is that you showed up and you continue to show up. And actually, you have gained so much more than smashing your your times or, or smashing goals, whatever it might be. You've gained so much more in the process. Yeah, it's so funny. I have this friend, Jerry, and he's a performance psychologist and he's trained Olympians and all of these amazing people. But he says that he never tracks his time in like anything he does. So when people come to him, they say, oh, you did that 10K. What did you do it in? He'll say, I did it in a pair of runners. Because actually the time, <laughs> your time doesn't matter. And runners, sorry, it's that, that's an Irish word. I mean, trainers. I did it in a <laughs> pair of trainers. So yeah, just not to be so hard on yourself and just go out and, and try your best. And nobody actually really cares. No, that's You know, it. and you might surprise yourself. Yeah, be gentle with your expectations and know that life is not a linear upwards trajectory, right? one day might feel easier than others. It's just an inevitability. Yeah. And did you start anything over the last couple of years that you surprised yourself with? Well, I kind of stopped giving a shit about my <laughs> my body, my health, my well-being after Ben died. I think having witnessed this otherwise very vibrant, healthy person deteriorate and mm-hmm. lose his life to the disease. Um, it made me lose all faith 
in my body, I thought, well, fuck it. What's the point? You know, so I was very disconnected actually for a long time. And then as the grief began to soften and I began to re-engage in my life, I I fell in love with going to the gym again. Uh, I think it took me about a year to to step foot inside a gym. I mean, obviously they were shut down for a long time over the lockdowns, but it's been it's been such a a wonderful journey. It's almost been like a homecoming, you know, because it was such a big part of my life prior to Ben's diagnosis. It feels like I've reclaimed something from my before and I've carried it into my after and I love it. I love going to the gym. I love working out. I feel really empowered lifting weights and reconnecting to music again, which was a big part of mine and Ben's world. He was a music agent. And after he died, I thought there's no way I could ever listen to music again, let alone enjoy, you know, a live concert or a festival without him. But I have, I have. And I think that speaks to what we were saying earlier that you, you can, and you will find a way through. You actually wrote something really beautiful that I, that I saved on Instagram a while ago that said, you know, the sun can come back out again. Yeah. The sun, yeah, the sun came back out again on my life. And I remember I used to just sit in my living room looking at this clock and the time, the little second hand was always moving forward. And that gave me a lot of hope that I wouldn't feel like this forever. And then I I went to do this snow run in Switzerland, um, 12 kilometers. And I was on my way down the mountain and I was like, oh my God. I'm just feeling every second of this and this is amazing and I don't feel any pain. I just feel so alive right now and I didn't recognize myself. Like, who am I? I'm so proud of myself and I crossed the finish line and I was like, the sun has come back out in my life again. I always say that to people who are struggling, never give up faith that the sun will come back out in your life again. It will. It will take time, but it always comes back out again. Every every morning there's a sunrise. You've just reminded me of two quotes. The second I will butcher, but the first is by, I think, a Welsh poet possibly an Irish poet, um, Raina Maria Rilke. And the quote is, no feeling is final. Oh, everything changes. So this too shall change. Oh, I love that. I was interviewing somebody on my podcast, a guy called PJ, who suffered really badly with his mental health. And he said, just do another day. Just do another day. Just every day, tell yourself, I'm just going to do another day. And one day it will be better. Mm. I think when you were in the midst of your, your, your challenges, whatever they might be, you really do have to take things right back to basics again. It's very much a survival mode of sorts, isn't it? And for me, in those early days of grief, I would tell myself, just get through this next moment. Put one foot in front of the other, left, right, left again. Okay, you made it through to the afternoon. You've made it through to the evening. That's another day done. Tomorrow, you might feel a little bit better. You're going to try again. And as time passed, 
those moments became days, which became weeks, which became months. And then you look back and you think, wow, I got through that. Mm, I love that. Um, It made me think actually back to that conversation I had with PJ because he went to hospital um, for treatment for his mental health for weeks and weeks. And I naively said to him on the podcast, I said, oh, like, what were you talking about when you went in there with your therapist? Were you dealing with your like unresolved trauma or, you know, did you, were you getting to the root of what was wrong? And he was like, no, I was learning how to breathe. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, my God. We can so underestimate how hard it can get for people. So when you are in, you know, the way you're saying there, like about just get to the next moment, like I've survived this moment, moment, like just breathe. If that's all you can do, find a way to breathe again. And then that will take you to the next moment and the next moment. It really made me see like the depths of darkness that people can be in and how, you know, I was like, God, I felt a bit stupid for saying, were you dealing with your unresolved trauma? He's like, oh my God, like, no. But I think through conversations, it's great to get that insight, isn't it? And then to be able to pass it on because maybe there's someone listening to this podcast that's in a dark place and maybe today they can just focus on breathing. I'm so glad you've mentioned this. And I actually had a moment interviewing one of my guests for, for this season of Lemonade. I said, you know, how, how did you cope? How did you cope with, with the death of your baby son? And he was like, uh, I didn't. We just were surviving, really. There weren't any particular coping mechanisms or tools. We just didn't die, basically. And oh, I was like, God. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you mentioned this because I think you know, there are some things in life that just surpass all capacity, the loss of a loved one, a diagnosis, whatever it might be. The notion that we could survive at the time feels like an insurmountable feat, right? But what my grief coach said to me when I came with her, came to her with all of these problems, there were so many layers, layers to my loss. She just said one thing at a time. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to dive deep into all of this trauma work just yet. It's okay to just be surviving and to reach for distraction, to reach for what brings you a little bit of lightness, a little bit of reprieve. Yeah. I, I have these, like all of these card decks that I pull, like angel decks, and we have our own ones here at the Good Glow that I created um, because they helped me so much because someday just picking a card got me through that day or asking for a sign or seeing a feather or just believing in a bigger picture and trusting life. That was enough some days. And I think sometimes you can look outside of yourself for guidance and and that can really help you face the day. I was actually going to ask you if you had any go-to mantras when you're going through challenging moments that help to, to lift you, that help to spur you on. Is there anything that springs to mind? 
There's so many. Oh my God, that could talk about this forever and ever. I think when I was in the depths of it, like you've, you've brought it up already, like the sun will come back out on your life again, like trust the process. Um, but then most recently I have one that I'm using a lot, which is I am enough. I have enough. I do enough. And I think when I'm so busy and I'm so hard on myself and I have my own business and I'm trying to get up every day and thrive, sometimes I'm like, I'm, I'm doing enough, you know, I need to just give myself more of a break. I need to have my own back more. So that's the one that I'm really connecting to recently. But I think you do kind of have different ones at different times. So like, what's your one at the moment? Oh, <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot now. Shit. And let me rack my brains as I try and think of something really deep and profound to share. Um, I do often come back to, to that quote I, I mentioned earlier, which is no feeling is final. Mm. I really love that. It's important because I think when we're in the midst of our pain, trauma, suffering, as I said, it just feels inconceivable that we could ever feel differently, but we do. And I think, you know, you are, you are proof of that as, as am I, hopefully that, that we can get through whatever life throws at us. Absolutely. And you are doing that. And that's why it's such a joy to watch everything that you're doing and creating and passing on. And in my book, I, I wrote a book which, which is insane, by the way. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. But it was really an amazing experience. Very, very hard at times. But I think to pass things on is even just one thought, even just, you know, one. I spoke about planting seeds, even if you could just plant one seed and as women, you know, telling our stories and supporting each other and helping each other and sharing is just so powerful. It really is. You've just reminded me of something actually that I do often come back to, which is no amount of effort is ever lost or wasted. So, you know, when you think of a seed, you think of this teeny tiny little speck and you cannot even comprehend what that will bloom into one day. But so long as it's planted and every day you just keep on watering it, even if it's a tiny drop. Yeah, that's beautiful. It will stand tall as a flower one day. So I love that. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about your, your book, Georgie. Oh, thank you. It's called Glow because in my recovery, people started to say that I was glowing and I just really felt like I was back, you know that I had my my second chance. So my book is about everything I've kind of learned over the last five years through personal stories. There's short stories in there, which I love. I think they're my favorite part of the book, which is just these random little short stories, not about my life, but just about things that I've learned, like aha moments. Um, so one of them is called Be Unapologetically You. Another is called Don't Eat the Burnt Potato. So just little thoughts. And then I have learnings, um, just five steps in how to create a, like, a better life for yourself. Because I felt like for my whole life, I was waiting to start living. I would say, I'll start living when. I'll do this when. 
and I just kept putting things off. But when I finally stopped waiting and started living, everything changed. So it's really a book to give other people permission to just go for it, to believe in themselves, to connect with themselves and really find their truest potential because it's all you already have it. It's in you. You just have to unlock it. Oh my God. Sounds amazing. I can't wait to read it. Georgie, my love, I wanted to ask you one final question, if that's okay. If you could give the younger version of you a single piece of advice, what would it be? A really good question. There's so many things. I think I would say trust because I didn't trust before. I tried to control every single part of my life. And in doing that, I was so stuck because I was afraid to do anything wrong or to put a foot wrong, to take chances. I felt like I had one outcome, which was to get this job that I really wanted in radio. But if I had have just trusted my life a little bit more, if I had have surrendered and accepted and acknowledged, then I think I would have ended up in a very different place and and not even in a different place in terms of physically, I think it mentally. I think I would have accepted myself a lot more and I would have been easier on myself and I would have loved myself. So I always believe everything happens for a reason. I am so lucky that I got to survive cancer. But I think if I went back, I would have told myself to maybe loosen the reins a little bit more. Believe in yourself. Trust your journey. You'll be okay once you connect with yourself, because I think I found and I was so supported and so loved by everyone in my life. But it's really you against you and you with you at the end of the day when you close your eyes and you lie in bed. So I think I would have just loved myself a little bit more and really believed in myself. I I keep repeating myself now, but um. I think you know what I mean, Lottie, because I think, I think you were, your whole world turned upside down and you were with, just with yourself, you know, and through those moments, you learn so much. Mm, Absolutely. And it's almost like, you know, if only we could see ourselves the way that others see us, if only for a moment, you know, if we could give ourselves the same amount of love and support that, that others give us. Like get, get in your corner, believe yeah. in yourself. I love that. I am, um, I really, I feel like I, that was the message I didn't know I needed to hear today. So <laughs> thank oh. you so much. Yeah. Oh, like I just love chatting to you and I, also love following your journey because you're one of the most honest people on Instagram out there and you are (laughs) what the world needs. Oh, darling, I really appreciate that coming from you. Thank you so much. You are amazing. Where can um, my listeners follow you? Where, Where can they find you? Okay. So I'm not a TikToker. Um, I'm a bit old for TikTok. I need to start, but I'm on Instagram. Can't be asked with that. One's (laughs) enough. Oh my God. 
I'm Georgie.Crawford on Instagram. Amazing.